When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're not writing to be the most well-liked. You're not writing to be the richest. You're not writing to be the most popular. You're on this planet for so long, and if it makes you happy and it gives you some meaning in your life, you have to do it. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent Sarah N. Fisk. Cynthia Palayo is a three-time Bram Stoker Award-nominated author and poet. She lives in Chicago with her family. So please welcome Cynthia to the show. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story with everyone. We're going to talk about your journey to publication, and we're going to start at the very beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing, and then How long did it take from them before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Well, I started writing in high school. I wrote for like the school newspapers. And I always like to tell people I wasn't the good kid in high school. I was probably, I was on the verge. I'm surprised I didn't get kicked out. (laughs) (laughs) I was like on the the group, the next group to get kicked out. Um, And the reason I'm saying this is because there could be like this perception where it's like, you know, the the good kids or the AP kids or the bookly kids are the ones that turn out to be writers. Um, No, I was suspended like 10 times in high school. I was very, very, very defiant. But I loved reading and I loved um, reading the newspaper with my dad and watching the news. And so I started writing for the school newspaper and I started um, winning awards for our inner city high school, writing like nonfiction Mm -hmm. essays. And when it was time to go to college, and I am the first person in my family to graduate with a college degree. So it was exciting that my parents encouraged that. They're like, no, you're going to do this thing. Um, I was like, great, I'm going to do fiction writing. And they were like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not gonna be the first person in the family to go to college and then just do fiction writing. So they um, encouraged me, i.e. pressured me to do journalism instead. And so uh, that was a very scary time because this was in the, late 90s, early 2000s, when newspapers were closing left and right. So I'm literally watching my dream close. And I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. That was my, they don't even have this major anymore. My, mm-hmm. my, my major was news reporting and writing for writing newspapers. Um, everything's like digital now. I wrote four newspapers for a little bit, a few local uh, newspapers. Some of the, the larger papers here, I wrote like for their community and arts sections. I covered local crime, but this was not enough money to sustain myself. So I started um, interning for public relations firms and I learned really quickly I hated writing press releases. And then I went into the next thing that I thought would find and I, I would be of interest was uh, marketing research because I liked telling stories with numbers. So uh, all this time I am still not writing fiction and I still had this want to do this. Thing that I hadn't really ever really done. And I said, I'm going to go, I, by the way, I, at this point, I had gotten a master's in marketing to my day job. 
And at this point, I said, I'm going to get an MFA in writing and I'm going to learn how to write fiction. I just didn't know. I didn't know how to do it. And I was rejected from my, the MFA application. But for some reason, the chair called me at work and he's like, why do you want? And I think he was intrigued because I was a Puerto Rican girl from inner city, Chicago. The program was, did not have a diverse student body. <laughs> I think the, the acceptance rate at the time was like 4% for the school of the art Institute of Chicago. And he was like, I want to know why a girl from Chicago wants to be write fiction. And he's like, can you get in a cab? Can you get in a cab? This is how long ago this was. <laughs> can you get in a cab and get over here? And I was like, yep. And so I left my job, went downstairs, grabbed a cab on Michigan Avenue, and I met him in his office. And we talked about my life writing journalism and how I could no longer cover crime because I was crippled from experiencing that pain of writing community news. And he went back and he talked to the rest of the board and they got me in. And so I learned to write fiction at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. They didn't know what to do with me because at the time, I don't know what it's like now, at the time fiction, um, I'm sorry, genre was a dirty word, especially at a fine arts school like SAIC. Horror was not something <laughs> that any of their advisors wanted to touch. And so they paired me with playwrights, two of their playwrights. And so my advisors were playwrights, and that was the most amazing experience. So this is a long way of how I got to do this thing. But I haven't been writing fiction for that long, maybe 12 years. Mm. And um, I guess I'm doing okay if I'm <laughs> winning awards and being nominated. I mean, that's not why I went into this. I went into this because I I, I had to. Something just kept telling me I had to do this thing. And I feel so complete and whole from doing it. Can you tell us a little bit more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author and what you thought that that might look like for you? They didn't teach us the business of writing at all. That was another dirty word <laughs> at the time because we were all there to be artists. Mm -hmm. But it was, um, I don't know what it's like now. I don't know what world is I feel like I'm kind of hidden away from so many things but I knew I wanted to write and I didn't know how to do that at all like how do I get this book that I've written into people's hands and so I would just start googling I remember I went to like printers row the book fair in Chicago and there were publishers there and I like so dumb like I was like how do I get to this point and um, that's actually how my first novel was published. It's a small indie press published uh, my first two YA horror novels because I met them at Printer's Row and he asked me to send them the manuscripts and so he, they published them. Um, but that is probably doesn't happen <laughs> that way anymore either. But then I even knew then, I'm like, okay, this is a smaller press. What does this mean? I wasn't really on social media much. And I knew that this whole social media world existed, but I was very, I was an artist and I'm not, I'm not going to be on social. I was just, I'm, I was that kid. I became that weird art kid that didn't want to do this social media thing. And so I just didn't know. I did a lot of just like literally just going to art shows and talking to people and going to readings and asking people how they got their books. A lot of it was really indie and I didn't think that a big 
five press. I think I think a lot of this was self defeating for me. I think I think I thought that I could never get in a big five press. I thought, and I still think that sometimes. I I still think, and I'm not a big five author, and I, I keep thinking that though those places aren't for people like me. And this is a, this is this is something that I I need to personally work through. And so I always assumed once I figured out the mechanics of it that I would be an indie author and I would be the best indie author that I could be and I would challenge conventions and challenge forms. I did do querying actually. I should I should note this in 2012 when I was querying that um, that book, that indie book, and that went that was a complete disaster. I didn't even know how to write a query letter. So every single agent told me no, which is not no surprise because when I went back and looked at those letters, I was embarrassed for myself. <laughs> and I really didn't get serious and understood the mechanics of how to write a query letter until I went, and I wish I knew the name, I went to a writer conference in Minnesota back in like 20, I don't know, maybe like 2012, 2011 or something. And they had like sessions on how to write a query letter. Um, but I, I had gone to StokerCon. It wasn't called StokerCon back in 2011. I had gone to that, but and I did one of those quick pitch sessions with agents. And I still, no one wanted my book because I didn't know what to say. But I went to this great little writers conference in Minnesota, Minneapolis, and forgot the name of the agent, but she broke it down. And I felt like I wish I had known at that point. I wish I had known what she told us when I was a student because I felt like everything clicked together. And it just sounds. It sounds so dumb. I feel like I sound like an idiot saying this right now because like, how did you not know any of this, Cynthia? But it's like, you have to remember this was like, when was I getting my MFA? Like in 2008, I wasn't on social media. I was away from all of this. I'm really involved in social media now, but this wasn't my, this wasn't, I didn't understand that I could kind of separate who I personally am from my online persona. And that's something that I think is very important for writers. And that's a whole different conversation, but I learned a lot and I made a lot of mistakes and I feel now in working in mentoring, I meant I've mentored with pitch wars and I mentor with the horror writers association. I feel like a lot of people come really well versed in how the industry should work. And that's amazing. Um, and I wish I knew all of that and maybe it's, a, you know, in combination with age and just the way the, the process has changed over the years. So, I mean, if you're, I'm 41, if you're 40 plus and you feel like you don't understand what's going on, that's okay. I didn't understand what was going on before either. I hear a lot of people who went through MFAs wishing that their MFA had covered the business side of publishing more. And I do feel like a couple more are kind of like catching on and adding a class or two about the industry, but I've definitely heard of a lot that, that don't. So um, you actually answered the next question already, so we're going to skip that. It was how do you learn? How did you learn about querying and how to write a query and everything? Then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey of getting an agent and signing a book deal? The two indie books, um, they, those were published by um, again a, a super indie press. This was in 2012. That press closed. Um, so after 2016, I was like floating around and lost in space again. Uh, it was a writer, Kat Scully. Do you know Kat Scully? She's mm -hmm. an illustrator and a writer. 
she was the one who told me about, she's like, have you heard of this thing called pitch wars? You know, I was like, what? <laughs> she's like, I've been a mentor for two years. Where have you been? See, I was really, I was like in another world. And so she described to me what she was doing. And she's like, there's different Twitter and online pitch parties. And I was like, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. She's like, you go on Twitter and then you write a tweet about the synopsis of your book. And people will, if they like it, agents, they will hit like. And it's just like, really? Like that, that sounds amazing. Well, my very fr- I went back and I found my very first tweets were in about 2017 and they were a disaster. Mm-hmm. And if you know um, Clarabel, Clarabel or mm-hmm. Ortega, she, she, she's a superstar right now. So, but, um, and she was always, she's always been a superstar, but before she would help like newbie writers craft their, a lot of writers used to tweet out like, hey, if you need help with your query, your pitch query, my DMs are open. And I remember reaching out to Clara about and I said, here is my query. And she's like, oh, no, honey, <laughs> like, <laughs> not what you do at all. And so she went like, line by line and like even like I feel like she color coded line by line of what I was doing wrong and then described to me what I should do. And it almost it. And then it made sense with what that agent had said in Minnesota, where when she looks for a query, she looks for three things, the hook, the book, and the cook. And I just thought that was such a cute little way of saying it. And so Clarabelle's like, you need your hook and you, well, with the pitch, on t- with, your, with the pitch tweet, you, you need, you don't have much space. So you really needed a hook and you needed to, to communicate what the book was about. And with that tweet and the way she helped me guide me, I got my first agent. Um, I've changed agents since then, but that first agent is what helped me get Children of Chicago published. And so that one tweet was in 2018, April 2018 is what got me that agent. Um, again, it was a very confused process because <laughs> I just didn't know what I was doing. But it was nice that there were people that were willing to help because I don't think I would have figured out the tweet aspect. I know now, now Pitch Wars, I believe, and other pitch parties have like a how, you know, an FAQ section and they describe, they break down the mechanics. But before, there was no really breakdown of this is what makes a good tweet. This is what's going to, you know, claw out from those, you know, millions of tweets that pushed out each day. So then when when you went out on sub with that first agent, how did that go? Every major um, publisher said no, <laughs> which I was not surprised because it's more, it's an experimental book. Um, but then it was picked up by Agora Polis Books, which is a larger indie press. And so they have distribution in bookstores. They have a really great um, publicity network so it was it's been mentioned in in the new york times and the chicago tribune la review of books so for an indie book and that's what i've told people that are apprehensive either they're apprehensive to the indie path or they feel like being an indie author is a failure i have to tell them you know there are indie authors that have done phenomenally well 
Max Booth III, his self-published horror book, We Need to Do Something, was it's was filmed. It was, you know, had a major, you know, theatrical release, and now it's on Hulu. That's a self-published book. So you have to one thing I tell younger and newer writers today is that the market is very different today. There's very diff- there's different avenues of success, and don't feel like you need to do this one thing in order to be successful. And there are agents that will query these indie presses, and you can have a pretty successful trajectory going the indie route as well. All right. So now is the time when people usually read their query letter, but you're actually going to read your Twitter pitch for us. Yes, I'm going to read my Twitter pitch. So this, again, this was April 26, 2018. You pay the Pied Piper or he comes to collect. So says the fairy tale. When Detective Medina sees his calling card at a murder scene, she knows he's returned. Can she stop the Pied Piper before he collects her life and solve her sister's unsolved murder in the process? And I did uh, the hashtags, which was important and like a Twitch and in a, in a um, party like this. So I did a hashtag of H to indicate R. I did a hashtag of OWN. We don't do this anymore because things change. OWN to indicate own voices. And then um, hashtag DV pit. So this was for the diversity pitch. And so um, you can Google, and I would recommend people Google why we no longer say own voices. That's That's kind of shifted over the... The years people like to um, probably be more specific and indicate your BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, Indigenous people of color. That's probably today I would have used that, or maybe today I would have used instead of own I would have probably used Latinx to indicate that I'm a Latinx author and I am also writing Latinx or diverse characters. So, how has your experience been since signing with that first agent? and signing your book contract, especially were there any surprises along the way? Well, the agent was really nice. She was very, 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 very nice. I think horror was not, the, you know, there's a multitude of reasons why people change, change agents. Um, horror wasn't part of their, um, at that time, they didn't have a lot of horror in their catalog, but they signed me on, they liked the book, and I was like, well, let's do it. So I did have... Um, Another agent who was also a lawyer reviewed the contract just to make sure everything was good because I didn't know anything. Going into this, I learned about um, their commission-based. I learned about um, film rights. I learned, oh my gosh, I mean, I learned the, the, the submission process with them was very transparent, and that was nice to see. I know it, it's different for many different firms and I was able to have like an Excel spreadsheet and see she would update it and we kind of shared it and she would put in comments. She asked me, do you want to see what they say? And I said, yes, I regretted that. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it it, it was a learning process. Well, I did go into edits with the agent. The agent recommended, um, which is really funny and I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I've already started. So the agent recommended I make these set of sweeping changes throughout the book. And it's funny because then when Polis looked at the book, they were like, you know what? The book would be really great if it had this. And I was like, that's what I took a year <laughs> moving. So if your gut tells you something is the way it needs to be, probably push back a little bit. See if you can push back a little bit with your agent. Because the way I had set it up originally, that's the way it 
wound up being published. Um, I mean, there was a lot to learn. It's a, they were a smaller, smaller agency. I learned about like these big, huge agency firms. I learned about people that go on their own and do agenting. I learned about the massive amount of work that agents have on their plate. And I don't think many people either A, know that, or B, are just like ignorant. They don't want to realize that agents have tons of work on their plate. At that time, I didn't realize the, the magnitude of reading and just constantly being, you know, responding to emails and reading things and, and you know, negotiate, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for, you're trying to build a list and then you're also managing your list. And then you're also trying to like, you know, make deals. It's a, it's a, it's a lot. So I feel like a, a lot of people need to understand that it's, it's a business and not, not just on their side, but also um, in terms of publishers, this is a business. People are looking for things that are going to be marketable, that are going to be able to sell, that are going to find an audience. The indie, as since I'm a horror writer, I think horror is a very interesting place because we do have such a firm ground in indie, uh, like indie network, as opposed to probably other genres. So, and I do think that the indie market in horror has exploded. We didn't have this presence. Definitely not 20 years ago. Um, so that's something that I'm kind of keeping an eye on. What does that mean? Our historically has ebbs and flows in the market. So it is time for our quick round. I call it author DNA. So it's just classifications we like to put writers in. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Ooh. Pants plotter. <laughs> okay. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Underwriter. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? Night. When you start with a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? Concept. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. When writing, do you prefer silence or sound? Silence. When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Get it right. What tools or software do you use to draft? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Scrivener, Word, Google Docs, yeah, everything. Right. My phone, note, my notes app, mm. everywhere. It's everywhere. <laughs> Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Drafting. Sequential order. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Introvert. All right. So the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. So we're going to talk about the second cue now. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey and were they realized or did you overcome them or how did they shake out? I started getting a little panicky that the book would never see, that Children of Chicago would never get published because we were getting down to the last big publishing house that was, we were expecting them to say no. And so I, I started thinking that I was probably going to self-publish it if nobody had agreed to it. And then Polis came and I was like, All right. I had some friends that had been published there. And I was like, okay, it's a good, it's a good indie press. Let's go for it. So that was, I, I remember feeling a lot of anxiety there when all those no's were, were rolling in. Yeah. All right. Now it's time for the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that, it's kind of different or interesting or unique. You're shaking your head. <laughs> There's this whole 
discussion that Virgos are very organized and very just neat and tidy people. I am like a mess. I have like <laughs> notes everywhere and there's like three stacks of research books in that corner. I have quotes. I just have, I think I'm like a, like, I don't want to say a mess in a bad way. I just feel like this is manic, you know, excitement that, and that's probably my biggest quirk. It's like, I have all these tabs and Scrivener of all these like research, like rabbit holes that I've gone under. I love to do research for my book and um, people who have read Children of Chicago, they either love it because of the historical aspect or they hate it because they're like, why is she teaching me history? I don't want to read this, but I, I, I'm a researcher by day. And so for me, research and history is so fascinating. And so I just throw so much research in there. I'm like, isn't it cool that this used to be there? And people are like, they don't care. People don't care about stuff like that, but I do. And so I think you have to be excited about what you're writing and realize that like in life, not everybody's going to like you. <laughs> and like in life, not everybody's going to like your book. And that's okay. But just if you keep that fire and that excitement, it keeps writing so much fun. Awesome. Yeah. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? Uh, well, um, I don't know. I don't know. I did stop writing for a long time because I did have um, a very difficult time in my life. Probably about, I took four years off of writing where I had said, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to write. This is too stressful. Everybody hates me. Everybody hates my writing. I, I, I don't fit in. And that was my feeling. I'm like, I don't fit in. I'm not, I'm not this whole literati kind of, I don't fit that vibe, that writerly vibe that these people are, I don't know. I always felt like writers were like of this cool social class and I'm just kind of like this gritty girl. <laughs> I'm just like, they don't want me in there because they're going to think I'm picking their pockets or something. Because um, <laughs> that's the kind of person that I am. Uh, I'm kidding. Um, and so I just felt like I didn't fit in. Um, and so I was just like, I can't do this. And I took four years off. And it was a, a friend of mine who reached out and he was putting an anthology together. And he was like, I'm, you know, it's a Puerto Rican anthology. You're Puerto Rican. We should, we need one of your stories. You're, you're, you're a mystery writer. You're a horror writer. I was like, I don't do that. I'm, I don't do that anymore. That's what I, <laughs> and he's like, well, you're, you're going to give me a story. And I was like, all right, fine. Um, and I think, and I don't drink anymore. Just for the purpose of, I don't drink anymore, but I remember drinking like a bottle of Jake Daniels and I wrote this story that it still like haunts me to this day. And I felt like that had been bubbling up inside of me for four years. Like, why are you holding this back? You have to do it. If you're not writing, you're not writing to be the most well-liked. You're not writing to be the richest. You're not writing to be the most popular. You're on this planet for so long. And if it makes you happy and it gives you some meaning in your life, you have to do it. And it was, um, my friend asking me to write that story where I was finally able to tap back into that. And I haven't been able to stop since. So since that moment I've written, I don't know, I think like four or five books, probably like 50 short stories, two poetry collections. Um, and, I, and it's the realization that it's okay if I'm not like, you know, super, you know, I'm not 
a millionaire or I'm not like uh, in on a billboard in Times Square. Like, why do I need that? Like, I'm I've already I've already won. <laughs> I've already won. I've already succeeded. I'm already writing and publishing and I already have my fans that cheer me on. Like I don't need that stuff happens. That's cool, but that's not what I'm doing it for. When you were telling the story about your friend, all I could think of is the line from the Godfather where he says, every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Yes. <laughs> that's what it was. I remember like I remember responding like, nah. I'm not doing that. <laughs> You're a writer. Like, what other Puerto Rican writers do we have? I'm like, you'll find them. They're there. And he's just like, no, we're we're putting you we're putting you on the table of contents. I'm like, what? <laughs> All right, I'll write something. And um, and then I got I got sucked back in, and so, <laughs> and it's kind of hard. I think the hardest thing for me now is being a mentor, and people seeing what because I've I've always been like again I'm the, I'm the person that's not that's gonna pick your pockets I'm the person that people want to stay away from um and so the, what, the, what I have to be cognizant now of what I say how I move how I behave because I know I I know newer writers and younger writers are looking up to me which is nice and so I have to be careful who I pick my fights with and I and, I, and I've no I've been known for that on Twitter like being very like confrontational and I've, I've had to stop that and just let stuff go and realize it doesn't it doesn't matter just like people are always going to say something dumb in publishing um just let it go mm. focus on the writing don't focus on the <laughs> the drama <laughs> what do you feel like are some of the biggest mistakes you made on your journey to publication that you might want to warn listeners about so they don't make the same ones writing these really long query letters that make no sense people <laughs> agents don't have they don't have time always i think if you approach this with you're writing a letter to somebody that doesn't want to read your letter because they're busy they're busy they don't have time so keep it short to the point keep it punchy and follow the rules if it says if they're saying you know, first five pages and the body of the email, follow that. Um, and, and it's because they have a process. And if you're doing other, anything otherwise, you're just throwing their process off and you're going to make them grumbly for that day. So, I mean, I probably might have ignored or maybe not ignored. Maybe I didn't read the submissions guidelines, follow this. Now there's submission managers. They, they, agents have gotten fancy. They're using um, these submission managers. So use that. I, I might have asked people before, like if they could, you know, give me their opinion of why they um, rejected it. Some people were really nice. This is again years ago, and like would give me a reason why. Um, consistently, the reason why I've been told maybe they're being nice to me. I don't know if they're being nice to me or lying to me, or um, but they would always tell me, "Well, your book isn't." commercial enough that's what i would always be told it's mm. not commercial enough it doesn't have mass market appeal and so that's it was interesting that they've consistently have told me that i mean i've i've gotten some some dumb responses to that along the lines of children don't kill children i'm like do you mm. okay because <laughs> i write about bad things um so i've gotten some things that have been questionable but um I've never kind of resp- I've never responded to the mean ones. I might have maybe flubbed a, 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 
guideline here or there. So I think people need to be, be mindful. And I think what I've realized is if somebody doesn't want to work with you, then you don't want to work with them because you want, and, and I don't think people get it. Like why would, okay, fine. This agent is from this fancy pants, like agency, and they have all these like, you know, millionaire clients and ooh, great. But if they don't want to work with you, then why are you pursuing them? You want someone that looks at your manuscript and they're like, let's go right mm -hmm. now. Because even if they're from a smaller firm or on their own, they're going to champion you way more. And that's more exciting. I don't think people get that. I think they need to get that. Mm. I didn't get that before. <laughs> like, after <laughs> time, like, they don't like me. It's like, okay, yeah, they don't like you. Then move on. Like, move on. Yeah. So related, can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication? Well, my work-life balance is awful. So don't listen to me when I talk about work-life balance because I work all the time. I think it's, um, maybe I, I will talk about work-life balance um, because I do work a lot. I think it's, it's kind of known. I work, I have a full-time job. I'm finishing a PhD, which maybe one day it'll be finished because I'm, I don't know. I have two children, two children with disabilities. I have a husband. So I do a lot. So I write, I do a lot. And I feel like a lot of writers probably don't have as much on their plate, but you have to, if you're going to write, if you have a lot going on, set aside a time for yourself and if it doesn't get done one day or two days or a week, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up over it. I think we still have to enjoy our lives. And I know a lot of people say, but writing is an enjoyable thing. And I'm like, yeah, but outside and fresh air and your family and your loved ones and your pets, that's an enjoyable thing too. Don't get so lost in the work that you're losing who you are and that your loved ones aren't seeing you. So that's been something that I've been trying to teach myself. Like, you know, I have an elder, like you, you had mentioned you have an elderly dog. I have an elderly dog. He's 17. If he comes in here and he nuzzles me and I'm writing, it's like, I can take a few minutes and go take him outside to the yard. The words will be there. Um, mm -hmm. If my kid comes in and he's just like, I want to play with Play-Doh. Yeah, let's screw it. Let's go play with Play-Doh. I can step away from the computer. Don't get don't get so lost. And, and I know there's a lot of writers that they like to go on social media and say, I've, you know, I've finished my 10th book or I finished my 20th book or I've written ah, 3000 books this month. And it's, it becomes this crazy pressure because you see these people just shooting out these books and, Oh, this book that I do with random house and this book. Okay. Good for them. You can't, you can't get whipped up into that frenzy of, you don't know what their lives look like. You don't know if this is all they do, you probably work and you have to make your own meals. Don't feel like you have to compete with anybody or overexert yourself. This should be something that is fulfilling to you, not a competition. Hmm. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. You've already mentioned some of them, but who are some of the people or even organizations who helped you along the way and how? Oh, uh, Mystery Writers Association, 100%. When I started writing again, it was the Mystery Writers Association that I felt like helped me pick up the pieces. Lori, Ra Lori Raider Day, 
who was the president when I was there, and she's just an amazing author. Mia Manansala, who was another member of the Mr. Rose Association. Angel Luis Colon, Gabino Iglesias, Brian Keene, Rhonda Garcia Jackson. There's the Horror Writers Association, the entire the entire organization of the Horror Writers Association, I feel like has embraced me as one of their kids and I mentor for them. I volunteer for them. I will do anything for the HWA. Kat Scully, who I connected with after many years, that's just, um, it's been a joy to connect with her again. Haley Piper. Holy hell. Like, I cannot wait to just like meet Haley Piper face to face. And I just want to hug her up. Just like, just squeeze the hell out of her because she has been, when I've had some really tough times, in the last couple of years, she has just been like this ray of sunshine, Eric LaRocca. So it just so many people have been, um, we've been really, oh gosh, Mother Heart, Sadie Hartman. Like if, like she's been a complete star um, in my life. So, so many people, I wish I could say them. All. Of course, and my, and my new agent, who is amazing, Lane Fima. <laughs> so Lane, who, um, I am so happy to be with Lane. I mean, he's been, you know, we've got Children of Chicago, the film rights in motion. Uh, we have a screenwriter lined up, which is very cool to see. So uh, it's, uh, I'm happy I have a champion in him and so we'll see, we'll see what we keep doing. Awesome. All right, Cynthia, before you go, can you let us know what we're going to see from you next? Sure. So this year I'll have uh, my new poetry collection. It's called Crime Scene. And I know a lot of people really enjoyed my last true crime poetry collection, which was Into the Forest and All the Way Through. But Crime Scene is a poetry collection told in verse that will be published by Raw Dog Screaming Press. I believe they're aiming for it to come out end of this year. And next year you will see the sequel. Uh, it's not really a sequel, but um, it's the second book in the Chicago saga. So Children of Chicago, too. Um, I, you know what? I will tell you the title. I haven't told anybody the title, but I'll say oh, exclusive. So the title is The Shoemaker's Magician. Oh. So this is exclusive. Only if people listen to this will they yeah. know what the title <laughs> is. But um, I, I don't know if we're going to wait and do a big drop at a Sorry, Polis, but I just think that's, I've been dying to say the title. The Shoemaker's Magician is the sequel of Children of Chicago. Awesome. And we'll look out for more uh, movie news, too. Yes. All right, Cynthia, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Quarries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find more information about Cynthia in the show notes. If you've enjoyed the show, I really appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.